0: You're listening to transmission on 4 Triple Z, Amplifying the trans and gender non-conforming voices of Brisbane and beyond.
1: Hello, hello. you're listening to transmission on 4 Triple Z. My name is Ez. I use he him pronouns. Yeah. Welcome! Uh, it is a pretty nice, uh, Tuesday morning, temperature-wise. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to like, probably sweat my guts out later, because that's, that's Mianjin at the moment. Um, (laughs) anyway, Transmission! Transmission is all about amplifying the trans and gender non-conforming voices of Mianjin and beyond. Um, and today... It is an absolutely packed episode, so I'm going to do the best I can to get through everything. Uh, first up, we have the week in community events and news. Um, I'll also be um, having a bit of coverage on a, talking about the recent shooting in Colorado Springs. Uh, so, trigger warning... For this next segment coming up as well. Uh, after that, I'll be chatting to Dr. Elise Saylor, uh, who is a surgeon here in Brisbane who performs gender affirming surgeries. We'll be having an interview with her later, which I'm really, really excited about. And after that, we'll be chatting. Uh, I have a pre-recorded session uh, chatting to Maeve Marsden from Queer Stories, which is part of Melt Festival this year. And I have a quick chat with her as well. So yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a full episode. Uh, so yeah, let's just like dive into the first part, which is all about, yeah, the weekend community events that are coming up. So, uh, there's Queer Slice Artist Market, which is at Netherworld in the Valley on Saturday, 26th of November from 11am till 3pm. Queer Slice is coming to Netherworld, an artist market featuring local talent from Brisbane, including artists from Ludo Studios, Bluey. Come grab a slice of what queer Brisbane creatives have to offer, featuring artworks, creative wares, and more. This is a market you won't want to miss. So yeah, Netherworld this Saturday from 11 a.m. Then there is, afterwards, Revel in the Queer at Brisbane Powerhouse New Farm in New Farm Park from Saturday 26th as well of November from 3 p.m. till 7 p.m. Come one, come all to the Pleasure Dome as Revel in the Queer takes over in an exhilarating celebration of the young and the young at heart. Young LGBTQIA+, and questioning people are invited to this uplifting safe space for an afternoon extravaganza of queer culture and identity. Roll up with friends, family, your dog, even your nan, to enjoy a, a queer megamix of talent from across Australia. Revel in the afternoon sun, rejoice in spectacular performances, delight in delicious food, and connect with the community to conjure bright futures together. There is also, later that day, at Greaser Bar in the Valley, also Saturday, 26th of November, from 5 p.m. till late. See, look, I'm just deciding what you're doing this Saturday, everyone. It's going to be a full Saturday you're having. But this particular Saturday, Saturday night from 5 p.m. at Greaser Bar, is Gender Bender Takeover. This is a completely free event, and it is part of Brisbane's annual Valley Fiesta celebrations in collaboration with Greaser Bar, Gardner Grows, and Transmission, that's right, emceed by yours truly, uh, as well as Archie Archie, Archnick, Archie Arsnick with six excellent acts, Nicolaine Martin, Bushed Poetry, Emmy from the Cutaways, The Snouts, as well as DJ Gatling Gun, taking us home for the rest of the evening. Uh, Gender Bender serves an unapologetic night of raucous rock and roll, queercore, politico-folk, and and ska-bangers, celebrating music's inherent ability to rule break and raise a middle finger at the bland and binary. This is a trans-inclusive, queer-friendly space and transphobia and bigotry will not be tolerated. So yeah, head on down to Grease Bar this Saturday night. I'll be there. I'm really excited. This is the first event I've been working on with, uh, yeah, Gardner, Gardner Grows, which is Ruth from Dykes and Mike's. So yeah, we're really excited to put this free event on for Valley Fiesta for y'all. Um, and then on Saturday, we've got Queer Stories for Melt, which is uh, located at the Brisbane Powerhouse on Sunday, November 27th from 4 p.m. Queer Stories returns for Melt. Uh, with an incredible lineup of LGBTQIA storytellers, including Benjamin Law, Laura Toms, Ivy Hawk, Dylan Mooney, uh, Kevin Ye, and Auntie Dawn Daylight, uh, vulnerable and fierce, hilarious and heartbreaking queer stories features unexpected tales of pride, prejudice, resilience, and resistance. Celebrate the culture and creativity of the LGBTQIA community, one true story at a time, which will be hosted by Maeve Marsden, with one uh, with more of the stellar lineup to be announced. Uh, and this show will also be Auslan interpreted, which is really, really cool. So yeah, um, that's from 4 p.m. this Sunday. And later in the episode today, I have a chat with Maeve um, about queer stories. So yeah, stick around if you're interested in that. Um, and if you'd like to know more about any of the uh, st- uh, events that I've just mentioned, you can head over to the Transmission Facebook page at TransRadio with a Z. Uh, all the deets will be up there. So yeah, there you go. There's your week in community events. We're now about to enter into some news. So trigger warning. This next piece of news discusses the recent shooting in Colorado Springs. Some listeners may find this distressing. So please tune out for the next couple of minutes if you need. If you yourself or someone you know is in need of mental health support, do not hesitate to contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. So on November 20th, There was a mass shooting um, at an LGBTQA plus club called Club Q in Colorado Springs. A gunman took five lives and injured 25 others. The gunman began shooting inside the club as soon as he entered the premises. The situation lasted only moments. At least two people whom authorities describe as heroes then confronted the gunman, took the handgun from the shooter and hit him with it to disable him, which saved countless more lives, police said. Police identified the suspect as a 22-year-old man who was apprehended at the scene and is now in police custody. One of the victims was a trans man, Daniel Davis Aston, a 28-year-old bartender at Club Q who lost their life. At least two guns were found at the scene. Police are now investigating the shooting as a hate crime. If you would like to donate to support the families and loved ones affected by this atrocity, a link will be posted on the Transmission Facebook page. Trans Radio with a Z. These funds are intended to help cover the costs of funeral expenses, medical expenses, or other expenses the victims' families have to face. I was this morning going to read a poem, Um, but in light of this, how recent this uh, shooting is, and my ability to hold it together on air, I've decided against reading this particular poem. However, I will be putting this poem up on the Transmission Facebook page as well at Trans Radio with a Z, it is to honor not only the victims of this particular shooting in Colorado, but also the fact that this shooting took place on a day uh, that is already particularly hard for many trans folk, uh, Trans Day of Remembrance. Um, I am particularly gutted by this situation. Um, I think many are. Um, And as a community, I know we are feeling pretty vulnerable right now. But I want to say that just remember that we are all magical people and we all have a lot of power and love inside of us. And I'd like us to really focus on that as we move forward. Um, and I'd like to, yeah, pay respects to all the all the victims of transphobic violence throughout history, but also recently in Colorado Springs. And um, Transmission sends all our love to everyone there. Um, so please, if you'd like to donate, yeah, head over to the Transmission Facebook page. At TransRadio with a Z, there is a link there um, to donate, to send funds to help support the, the families and loved ones.
0: My name is Georgie
1: Stone, and you're listening to Transmission on 4 Z. Hello, you're listening to Transmission on 4 Z. My name is Ez, I use he, him pronouns, and yeah, you're listening to Transmission. We are now about to head into a really cool segment. I've been waiting to interview this, this particular guest for a while, uh, she's really great. Um, and yeah, so I, I won't I won't give away too much because I'm going to ask ask more questions, but essentially Dr. Elise Saylor is a Brisbane-based surgeon uh, pro- providing uh, surgeries in gender-affirming care mostly. So uh,
2: how are you, Elise? I'm great, Ez. Thanks for having me on.
1: Uh, what's your name and pronouns? for uh,
2: My name's Elise Saylor and my pronouns are she, her.
1: Fantastic. Uh, so first of all, what kind of services do you provide?
2: Uh, Well, I've been a plastic surgeon for 15 years now and I started out as a breast specialist and um, many years ago now, about eight years ago, a good friend and colleague of mine, Andy Ives, who does gender affirming surgery in Melbourne, pulled me aside at a conference and said, why on earth aren't you doing top surgery if you're a breast specialist? And I said, to be perfectly honest, it hadn't crossed my mind. And so a month later, I was down in Melbourne doing top surgery with Andy, and then a couple months after that, he was up here doing my first cases with me. And in the last eight years, it's built to about 70 to 80% of my practice. Yeah, wow. Which is pretty lucky for me, given that's one of my favorite surgeries to do is all the gender-affirming surgeries for chest. Um they're the only gender-affirming surgeries I do. I don't do bottom surgery. I don't do um, any facial feminization, But we do have a new surgeon in my practice, Valley pra- uh, Plastic Surgery, uh, called Adam Honeybrook, and he will be taking up some of that work for me in Brisbane, which is very exciting. Oh, cool. That's great. Um, so, yeah, I offer um, breast augmentation. I offer top surgery, which is a double mastectomy. Um, and I offer that in all its forms and varieties because everyone's gender identity is basically affirmed by being able to present in their chosen way, in their perfect skin, their perfect body, and it's not a cookie cutter Mm. type of operation. You really have to listen to patients and understand what they want out of it to give them the best possible result. Mm. So it's a pretty flexible surgery. Yes, you get rid of all the breast tissue, but the aesthetic, within reason, is entirely up to the patient. It's yeah, yeah. all about them.
1: I also understand, i just let listeners know as well, that uh, <coughs> Sailor's recovering a little bit, so I may have a little bit Sorry. of a cough. Uh, not COVID. We're all safe in here. We're all good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and so I guess that sort of your passion for um, looking out for community members sort of came through the surgery in a way and not the other way around. Or...
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's just built and built over time. Even my staff will say to me, basically... My patients in this community are some of the absolute favourites to have, uh, interact with and have in the office and see back after surgeries. It's such a massive life-changing surgery, I think, for so many people. And just the fact that they're there and they're getting access to it and I think my staff get really excited as well for them. We've had to do a fair bit of training, of mm. course. But, yeah, it's definitely a patient population that is often much better to interact with, much more exciting to interact with than some of the, I guess, maybe <laughs> it's offensive standard, run-of-the-mill, say, cosmetic surgeries. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that, but um, I love it. It's um, And I'm so glad it's become such a massive part of my practice. Yeah. I'm pretty excited if I'm going to work and doing four or five gender-affirming chest surgeries in a day. Yeah. I'm pumped. <laughs>
1: I, I um, yeah I, I am one of your patients as well and um, yeah that's how I sort of got to know you as well And i you know it's uh, when you said cookie cutter before I remember you saying to me so like, the only time I use a you know a cookie cutter is in the surgery when when uh, we're grafting your, your nipples I use literal cookie cutter to make the shape. So well, liter-
2: <laughs> they have to, be around. We have to They be don't around. stay round often, which is sad for me. But it's not about me; it's about you guys.
1: You're like I use a cookie cutter, right? I use a literal implement. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did reach out to the community to ask them. You know, hey, do you have any questions for a surgeon uh, reg- regarding top surgeries? And uh, so I do have some questions uh, here from some of them. Um, I'm just going to read literally. The question that Sev, uh, former guest of the show as well, uh, sent me. Uh, So this is what uh, he said here: What options are available for fat folks who want top surgery, especially those with conditions and hormonal issues that make weight loss very difficult? How and how can the barriers to gender affirmation surgeries due to weight be addressed?
2: I, as I said to you earlier, when I read that question, I was like, "Fat folks, okay, let's break this down." Okay, Um, and you know. What is fat? Yeah. And yes, there is massively overweight, Yeah, which as a safety issue for the most part may mean you can't have surgery mm-hmm. and may mean, yes, you have to look at weight loss options even to the extent of maybe weight loss surgery beforehand. Mm-hmm. But to be perfectly honest, and I've heard a lot from other patients that I'm really strict on weight requirements, but it's interesting because this is probably the most flexible I am with weight is top surgery. Yeah, right. Most of the restrictions are around the actual facilities I work in. So the day surgery facility, yes, has to have a weight restriction. And unfortunately, because the uninsured patients, it's a much more financially beneficial way to do it because it's a lot cheaper at the day surgery. But you do have to be under a certain weight because we just don't have the equipment. We don't have any support staff like orderlies to help us move the patients. Yeah, right. So it is quite unsafe for a larger patient to be moved. And if something goes wrong under the anaesthetic, we're We've got very limited resources to look after patients properly. And that doesn't mean you can't have surgery if you're a slightly bigger patient. I operate on people up for about 140 kilos for top surgery. Yeah. Because it would be... I, I don't know how anyone exercises in a binder, to be perfectly yeah, honest. Yeah, oh, I couldn't. I, I definitely could not. I don't understand how people, you know... It, it, People at gyms like staring at you, they're quite mean often. You don't feel comfortable going and trying to do the right thing, which is what you want to do to get your surgery. So Mm -hmm. I'm very flexible, but you just have to come to the bigger facility, which unfortunately is more expensive. I can't do anything about that. I'm sorry. I wish I could. But um, uh, you don't have to pay for an overnight stay always. I can do you first on the list, see you in the afternoon, and that avoids a lot of expense, but it's just safety. This is your forever chest. I can't risk not giving you the forever chest and potentially endangering your life Yeah, just for the sake of one variable for the surgery that is at least one we can try and control. Mm. It's hard. It is hard work to lose weight. It is hard work when there are hormone issues, mental health issues, general acceptance, the discrimination, the stigma surrounding this, often in the mainstream world mm. where acceptance can be a, a big issue. but. It's all about keeping you safe, giving you your perfect outcome, or as perfect as we can get it, Mm. and making sure that you come out of the experience happy, healthy, and ready to move on with the rest of your life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, another another question that I had was, um, for non binary people, accessing gender affirming care can be particularly challenging, especially when it comes to language, you know, pronouns, particularly in um and I guess this is also due to like the spaces you're in as well. That's not always dictated by the surgeon. Um, but what steps do you think need to be put in place to create safer and more inclusive, particularly around language, in medical spaces?
2: I think a lot of healthcare providers are poorly educated in this arena Mm. Um, and look to be perfectly honest um, excuse me it took me a little while to really have my comfort zone for how to address people, how to inquire about people's preferred names and pronouns. But it literally, it's the it's the first question out of the box for me. Patients come in, I sit down and go, so this is your age. Could you tell me your preferred pronoun? Do you have a preferred name that's not the Medicare name that's on my paperwork? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the time they think they have to use that name
0: mm-hmm. for
2: you know Medicare rebates and things. But everyone should be addressed respectfully in their preferred gender identity with their preferred name. And it's really easy to train your staff. It's really easy to get anyone to be good at that, to be more accepting and respectful. And so my staff are all very well trained not to be gender binary Mm -hmm. until they have asked a patient. And it's becoming more routine, which is great. I think our paperwork um, should reflect that as well, give you the option to write not just female and male gender identities, but give you the options and options for a preferred name, which goes automatically into my computer system. But I think understanding of non-binary is still pretty suboptimal in the medical world.
1: Yeah. It's also pretty broadly, I think, uh, you know, societally wise, Uh, you know, it's not uh, a very, it seems to be the thing that people struggle to get their head around the most, which can make it really hard to assimilate into like just general work environments. And not just necessarily medical ones, but yeah.
2: Again, it's about listening to a patient. A patient is going to explain to you the nuances of their identity, their feelings, how they'd like to be addressed respectfully. And I can so easily go into an operating theatre and the first thing I do is I say to all the staff working with me on that case, for instance, this patient's name is this. This patient's pronoun is this. Please use it. Mm -hmm. Please do not make that mistake. And I write in capital NICO on the front of the chart preferred name and the pronoun yeah so those little steps they're so simple and I don't understand why it's so hard it's just a mindset I think in a very traditional westernized medical society I guess
1: yeah and I guess more of you know working together to get through a lot of these processes because it's it's challenging. But yeah, a big part of that is just, you know, making people aware of like, hey, this name is not their name. And uh, there's actually similar issues with um, uh, driver's licenses entering venues and stuff for like drinks and stuff. So you know, um, yeah, if anyone uh, in government is listening, please help us change, (laughs) uh, you know.
2: Communication and education are key.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. More
2: open communication and education.
1: You also brought in some questions as well um, that I I did ask you, you know, what are common questions that you get asked um, from patients seeking gender-affirming surgery. Um, What what have you brought with you?
2: Um, There are lots of common questions that I get asked. Um, You know, one of the big ones, obviously, how much will it cost? And we give a patient, all our patients broken down quotes. There are no variances in costing for any different style of top surgery or augmentation or whatever gender-affirming chest surgery I'm doing. Um, How old do I need to be is another common question. Um, I'm one of the few surgeons in the country operating on under 18s. So I actually operate on 13-year-olds and above now.
1: Wow, that's awesome.
2: With federal court guidance and medical indemnity guidance. So we have a protocol set up. So... Um, that I am able to help with gender affirmation surgery for teens, mm-hmm. which has become very exciting, and that's only happened in the last two to three years for me. Yeah, wow. Um, how much weight do I have to lose? Yeah, that's always that's always a big one, um, but we've talked about that. Um, what types of surgery do I do? So for augmentation, under the muscle, over the muscle, for top surgery, around the nipple, keyhole, um, the double incision, grafts, no grafts. Uh, I get asked, will I have feeling in my nipples? And the answer to that is probably not, sorry, they don't Mm. come with a nerve, but we do our best. Yeah. Um, they, patients often want to know how long they have to stay in Brisbane if they're from out of town. They want written instructions, which of course we always give. Yeah. Um, the staying in Brisbane is seven days if you're from out of town. can I use THC or CBD before surgery? That's a big one because anxiety related to gender dysphoria mm-hmm. is helped a lot often by yeah, THC yeah. or CBD. I have no problem with it. If that's what helps with anxiety, you should keep doing that. You just can't smoke it. Yeah, yeah. Any other ingestible format is fine. <laughs> get your brown. <laughs> Don't come too high no, to No, that's theater. not advice. That's yeah, not you obviously. get sent home.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't say anything.
2: <laughs> what are the chances I'll need a revision surgery? And I talk all my patients through that mm-hmm. in the consultation. And then it's, it's about, you know, how long do I wear the binder? What's the recovery? When can I swim? When can I fly?
1: <laughs> when can I be in the sun? <laughs> yeah, it's,
2: it's just little practical things that mm. as a surgeon, you often don't think about until you've been doing this for so long that you go, okay, this actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. For someone going into the surgery, like I, I do it, but then they have to do the recovery.
1: And the healing is like the major part, really, Huge. you know, um, the, the surgeon is going to, you know, do the best that they possibly can to their skill level. But really, it's up to you and that healing process. And I remember you talking with me about that, actually, about, you know, it's the healing. And I was like, oh, I have such bad patience, You know, like, <laughs> I have to <laughs> I sit, remember I have this. I'm oh, you mean I'm going to be strapped up in this for how long? And I'm like, all right, fine. I will, I'll be a little I... T-Rex arms for like two weeks <laughs> or three weeks. T-Rex you know. <laughs> arms,
2: yeah, it's gone viral. It's so funny, though, when you think about how long people have been wearing a binder. Their yes. whole lives, which is a super uncomfortable one. Uh-huh. And then I tell them they have to wear a binder for six weeks. They're like, what? <laughs> like, really? You mean I can't <laughs> you wear it for just six years? Actually you can live six weeks longer. <laughs> I think it's
1: because of like the psychology of like yeah. it's so close that I don't have to wear it anymore. I think so too. Um, that it makes it so much worse. I mean, I think the frustration of the binder was more after the surgery for me than it was like the, the, the time before the whole yeah. length of times I was wearing it before. So
2: It's good for me because it's like it's Christmas every time I take someone out of a binder. Yeah, right. Because everyone's so excited. They're like, yes, i <laughs>
1: Um, You must have had some really beautiful, witnessed many beautiful euphoric experiences for a lot of trans folk as well.
2: A lot. And especially in that younger population. Like, I've had my first couple of cohorts graduate grade 12 now. Oh, wow. As different kids. It's quite amazing to see the change. I don't recognize some of them in the waiting room anymore mm. because they're so happy. They're achieving they're interacting socially in a way they just never could before. Mm. And the fact that they're so confident, and I see these great photos of them going to formals in electric pink suits and gold glomish singlets and platform, I'm like, you look amazing. Like, this yeah, is yeah. so cool that you feel so good about yourself now that you can present any way you like and you're owning it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you
2: know, no one can take that away from them now.
1: Yeah, that's so cool. It's they're really in cool. There Perfect body, um, yeah. Perfect body, and I guess like that's really you know what you're facilitating in your job is you know creating someone's you know most comfort in their body. And um, I recently uh, went to a, like a particular panel where someone had said, uh, I think it was Heidi LeFay actually. Uh, she said, um, "When did you know that your body was yours?" And I think for, like I had that question only just recently, and I thought. It was around the time that I started having, like, around my top surgery because for me, that was when I went, this is mine and I can choose what I want to do with it, you know? Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for providing the care that you do. It's, it's really amazing. It's um, exciting for it's, me. It must be so I exciting. I love it.
2: Yep, love going to work every day. <laughs>
1: um, last question I have was, as we look into the future, what kinds of changes do you think need to happen in terms of accessibility and affordability? Um, so surgeons like you can give the best possible care.
2: Look, best possible care is or should always be every healthcare provider's goal. It's certainly mine. But unfortunately, in the healthcare system we have at the moment, uh, we're struggling with equality and equitability mm. in healthcare, especially for gender-affirming surgeries. In Queensland, the law is actually that it is excluded from the public healthcare system. So you yeah. are not to perform gender-affirming surgeries in the public health system in Queensland. All the states have different rules apparently. That's crazy, but that's how it is. Um, and it's expensive surgery because it is offered in the private sector. And we we try hard to you know help facilitate it for patients. I fill out paperwork for superannuation release, NDIS forms, whatever I can do. Um, unfortunately, and I find it really sad, but I don't know that there's a foreseeable future where it will be accessible. In the public health system. Mm. Partly also because, you know, I mean, no facility I think has the capacity or the funding, especially after COVID. And there are so few surgeons I find who are even willing to engage in this space and offer right. gender affirming surgeries. So if I'm doing the majority in Queensland, I. You know, where do they put me in the public space so to do be you allowed to do that and have time to offer it to the number of people who would want it?
1: Do you think that there needs to be sort of a revisitation of funding in, like, the the public health system to, like, actually specifically allocate this?
2: Well, the problem with public health funding is um, that access to these sorts of surgeries is, is not limited to people with gender dysphoria or transgender patients. Access to these surgeries is denied for also every other breast and chest surgery I do for female patients, male patients, cisgender patients. So it's not just in this space that I work predominantly in mm. that it, that it's an issue. Elective surgery in Australia is becoming harder and harder to access across the board. Yeah, right. And, I mean, in an ideal world, every medically necessary procedure or surgically necessary procedure should be able to be accessed by any patient. Yeah. Who has access to Medicare. I mean, that's what equality and equitability is. And that's the dream. It's the dream. That's the dream. But the dream gets eroded every year. Funding doesn't go up every year. It tends to stay static or even go down. Or it gets diverted, obviously, in COVID. Mm -hmm. We have to divert to those urgent needs. But Mm -hmm. it means that it makes a massive dent in what we have in terms of resources left over to provide surgeries that I think are essential for someone's mental health, their well-being,
1: their life, yeah,
2: their life, yeah, and this—it's a—it's a big risk for lack of access—is how that's going to impact on someone in a mental health way.
1: I believe that um, in the future as well, because the the need for these surgeries seems to be getting higher and higher all the time. Yep. Um, so it will become at a point it, it will be it will be forced to be addressed at a certain at a certain uh, level.
2: It it will. We hope. Yeah. Um, I just had two surgeons recently come up a couple of times from Melbourne to train with me in top surgery. So that was exciting. I'm yeah, like, cool. I'm like, yay, two more people who want to do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, it's it's a massive issue. Uh, I, I don't have any easy answers for that. Yeah. I think about it a lot. It's been discussed many times at my public hospital appointment at the Royal Brisbane. Access denied currently. Yeah.
1: in a in a future interview, I um for transmission, I'll be chatting to some people from uh, the gender clinic here at the the Royal Brisbane Hospital actually uh, to discuss a little bit more about this as well. But uh, thank you so much, uh, Sailor, for coming in today um, and chatting with us about all this. has been excellent. Thank you.
2: That's my pleasure. It's lovely to see. You.
1: Amplifying the voices of the trans and gender non-conforming community of Mianjin, Brisbane, and beyond. Transmission on 4 Z brings you the latest in trans community news, music and events. Every Tuesday from 9am till 10am. Join our team of hosts for an hour of celebrating the unique perspectives of the trans community. Transmission, Tuesday mornings from 9am till 10am on 4 Z. You're listening to Transmission on 4ZZZ, Uh, my name is Ez, I use he him pronouns, and we are now about to head into a segment where I, earlier in the week, had a chat with Maeve Marsden from Queer Stories, which is part of Melt Festival down at the Prison Powerhouse at the moment, which is really exciting, Um, so yeah, without further ado, I'm gonna push play on my chat with Maeve. I'm here talking with Maeve Marsden about Queer Stories. Would you like to introduce yourself?
0: Hello. Yeah. As you said, my name's Maeve Marsden. My pronouns are she and her. And yeah, I've been hosting and curating Queer Stories for seven years now. So thrilled to be here talking to you about it.
1: Oh my goodness. Seven years. It's really been that long.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like it wasn't, it didn't become like a really monthly, regular, super structured thing till 2017. So that's five years, but I was hosting them in Sydney in a kind of more low key way from 2015.
1: Yeah. Wow. I saw um, as well that you've got a pretty stellar lineup for Melt Festival, which will be coming up here in Brisbane soon.
0: Yeah. So I've been doing the shows in Brisbane since 2018 and it's a beautiful partnership with the Powerhouse where we do these epic shows in their big theatre and it's fantastic we get like 500 600 people and so this is the first time I've done a queer stories for melt festival but it means that a bunch of the artists who have their own work in melt can be featured in queer stories and it's a way to hear their story in a different format and a different sort of style so we've got Benjamin Law who's a Brisbane boy, or was when he grew up. He's based in Sydney now. Um, we've got Dylan Mooney, who's an incredible artist who's featured in Melt. Lara Toms, who's also an artist um, who's part of the Melt program. Kevin Yao who's a fantastic um, local activist. Um, Auntie Dawn Daylight, who's beautiful local elder. And I warned you this, I always get to five and then I'm like, who've I forgotten? But it's Ivy Hawk, who's an emerging stand up comedian who's incredible. So it's a beautiful lineup, a real mix of light and shade in the stories and of different kind of life experience and art forms bringing to the table. And so I'm stoked. It's going to be wonderful.
1: How did this all start? So how did the concept of Queer Stories begin?
0: I mean, I often joke that I there was lots of, like, popular storytelling nights at the time and I was like, I'm going to do that but make it gay. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> But I was programming an event in Sydney called Late Night Library, which were arts events after dark in City of Sydney libraries, And I was given the King's Cross Library to curate. And so it's right on the site of the first Mardi Gras protest and sort of deep in what has been a kind of queer and and sort of red light district. So I thought about kind of queer histories and I thought about the role of libraries as kind of preserving history and preserving kind of the public record and how many of our stories aren't part of the public record because of centuries of discrimination? And so, it, like, that's the kind of political bent. But really, it was just a chance to hear stories from our community without the kind of straight or the cisgender gaze shaping them, because we were getting more stories getting published and more work. I'm getting staged, but it was still always kind of programmed by cishet gatekeepers, Um, not to negate all the other kind of queer stories that were around. But, yeah, so it was that. It was kind of going what are our stories if we set the agenda? And it's quite a simple format. It's just six storytellers telling a personal story and that's what kicked it off. And it was really popular and so I kept doing it. And it really hit its stride, yeah, in 2017 when I started doing the monthly in Sydney and then started coming up to Brisbane a few times a year and going down to Melbourne. And so there was a few years there where I was doing like 30, 40 events a year and going into regional towns. And then the pandemic happened. And so that slowed me down. But there's still an appetite for our stories. And the more people I program and the more people I ask to tell a story at these events, the better they get because there are as many unique queer stories as there are queer individuals. So yeah, it keeps it fresh.
1: So with queer stories, how do you prioritise trans stories?
0: I mean, every time I program a show, I try to ensure the full breadth of identities within our community get a look in. And the beauty of doing so many events in so many places is that, you know, every single one of the LGBTQI plus has had a platform um, at queer stories and, the prompt for writers um, or storytellers at Queer Stories is tell the story you want to tell but are never asked to. And I think for me as a cisgender gay person, that takes it to a certain level because I'm asked certain predictable questions about my identity. But for trans people, the questions that they get asked are even more predictable, more invasive more framed around a kind of cisgender understanding of the world so i think that prompt tell the story you want to tell but aren't asked to for trans storytellers who i've been lucky enough to work with has been exciting because for some of them it does mean talking about identity and wanting to say, no, no, I really want to talk about how I conceive of myself and, and how I came to this understanding of myself. But for lots of them, it's like, no, I want to talk about being a gamer or I want to talk about going on this great holiday I went on or I want to talk about my mother or, you know, like it's there's so much to us other than defining our identities for others, that a platform where you are offered the opportunity to set the agenda yourself is really important to me. And so it's important to me for all identities, but I think especially with trans people being subject to the worst of kind of discrimination at the moment and being such a political football, a platform where they're not asked to explain themselves or educate cisgender people
1: matters. I just want to ask, so when can we see you? When can we see you here in the engine in Brisbane?
0: Quiz stories for Melt Festival is happening on Sunday, the 27th of November and we've got a kind of late afternoon show at 4pm which means you can come and have a drink, catch up with friends but not be too tired for work on Monday. Yeah and it's going to be a really beautiful night. It really is always such a chance for hundreds of us to get together and listen. It's, it's listening, it's holding space for each other's stories but it's also you know laughing at ourselves and and the best and worst of us. I love it.
1: Thank you so much uh, Mae, for joining me today. I look forward to chatting to you more.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: listening there to a chat that I had earlier in the week with Mae Marsden from Queer Stories. Uh, Yeah, we're coming to the end of transmission today. Um, It's been like yeah, a roller coaster of an episode. Uh, you know, with the week community news and events, as well as a chat with uh, Dr. Elise Sailor uh, around gender affirming surgeries, as and then yeah, just chatting to Made Marsden about queer stories there as well. Um, if there's anything that you missed out from the episode today, um, including music and such, you can have over the transmission Facebook page at Trans Radio with Zed. Um, all our socials I put up every week uh, playlist. What we've done um, a link to our podcast as well as a link to our on demand. You can listen back up to five episodes on demand uh, with music and everything on the Four Z website. So yeah, 4ZZZ.org.au, Check that out. Yeah, there's also like Z Digital. We have a bunch of really cool Z Digital shows uh, that I love. There's Generation Triple Z, which uh, Kai and myself recently featured on, talking about the origins of how transmission came to be at Four Z. Too. So yeah, you should check out Mark and Lou. Um, beautiful, beautiful people uh yeah thank you so much for tuning in um see you next week bye
0: thank you so much for listening to transmission see you next tuesday 9 to 10 a.m on 4 triple z